You are listening to the Heavenly Chi Podcast, episode number 61. Today I'm joined by Sharon Weisenbaum and we're going to be discussing the use of herbs in pregnancy and postpartum. Welcome to the show today, Sharon. It's great to have you here. Thank you, Clara. I'm so pleased to be here. It's been a long time coming. We've, I think we've had this this topic on the back burner for, you know, six months or so. It's, um, it's nice to get around to, um, to having this chat. It really is. And we've tried to actually meet in person in various ways and our efforts have been thwarted. Exactly. Yeah. In a, in a, in a COVID world, everything has, um, everything's changed in the last, in the last 12 months or so. Yes. Maybe there'll be some people listening to this in the future, in a few years from now and looking back, and this is the start of 2021 and um, the world is different right now than how it was mm-hmm. before. Yes, hopefully soon to open up again. Yeah, yeah, it'll be nice. Yeah. So herbs in pregnancy and postpartum, I'm curious to know, and, and I'm sure our listeners will be curious to know as well, because you've been practising for... 40 years now. Is that right? 1983 you graduated. I graduated in 83. That's right. Yeah. So 38 years. Mm. Wow. And, and my understanding is that, um, I mean, I was, I was still in primary school when I was (laughs) in, in the early eighties. My understanding is that, you know, women's health and education around the treatment of women during pregnancy was you know that information was hard to come by in those times is that was that your experience as well how did you start off well when i went to acupuncture school it was only acupuncture there were no herbal texts at all like the first materia medica had not been uh, translated and published and um you know so there was no herbal education anywhere um, it was just acupuncture, and that took a while to start to come to the West. And in fact, I never even went to a an herbal formal herbal program. I my close friend Andy Ellis um, was my first teacher, and he sat down and taught me the whole materia medica and formulas and. So I had to really like seek out education. Andy introduced me to a friend and teacher of his named Dr. Shurong Ju, or Ju Shurong. And um, she was just coming to the United States. She was from Shanghai and she was in Florida. And I went and interned with her in Florida and she was a gynecologist. That's when I first started learning about herbal gynecology in particular, although she was not an obstetrician. She was really a gynecologist. And then after I was practicing for seven years in 1990, I moved to Hangzhou in mainland China. And there I studied with an obstetrician gynecologist. Um, And that was amazing, you know, to work with somebody who um, had such a depth of knowledge and coming from a lineage of obstetricians and, and her methods are quite amazing. I use them all the time and teach them as well. I also translated most of her book, her, which is Cho Shamei's experience in gynecology. Um, and I use her translations in my courses as well yeah but there was nothing and there's still precious little right I mean where what book is there about um, treating women during pregnancy with Chinese herbs is there one I don't know my knowledge there isn't I have a um I have a good friend and and colleague here in Australia who I'm um I'm championing the championing championing the idea of her writing um, of writing a textbook. She's been in, in practice for almost 20 years and she worked under Stephen Clavey and she's done the uh-huh. classical study. And um, 
And I said to her, hey, the world needs a textbook, but maybe you'll get it first, Sharon. (laughs) Yeah, maybe, maybe, but uh, it would not hurt to have more than one, would it? Because there's all kinds of different experience. There's different ways of approaching pregnancy. Yeah, and I think it's really important because there's so many ways we can help at very critical times and where there isn't much else that the world offers these women um, and we can just have a tremendous impact on their well-being and on the outcomes. So I think it's very, it's just, this is the continuance of life and how important is it that that goes well uh, for the mom and for the baby? So it's, I think, very, very important. And there's also some mythology around working with women during pregnancy that you should not treat women during pregnancy. Um, A lot of people are taught that in school, like hands off, don't treat women during pregnancy. So I think that has to really be countered. And I'm really glad that you raised that point because it was something I wanted to discuss with you today. Um, I I see it so often in online discussions around pregnancy, particularly in early pregnancy, where there is somehow this belief that we shouldn't treat women or at least we shouldn't treat them during the first trimester. And uh, it's, it's such a curious concept to me like there's so much that we can offer to women whether it's with acupuncture whether it's with herbal medicine if I mean if if a woman is able to stomach (laughs) herbal medicine during the first trimester um, there's just so much that we can offer and it's such a shame that we you know throw these women to the curb we just leave them out in the cold with with no option and you know mainstream medicine doesn't necessarily have a lot to offer women during pregnancy and treatment options are limited and it's a very different approach anyway. That's It's not about optimising the health of the mother and the baby. It's just about that kind of, you know, let's just keep you alive and that's and then we leave the rest up to nature. And, um, and I, I wonder, do you have any insights on how we got to this place where, where we believe that we shouldn't treat women? Is it because of a lack of textbooks? Is it just a lack of experience on behalf of lecturers is an insurance thing. I think it's um, that we live in a fairly litigious and fearful culture, and 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 the rate of early miscarriage is quite high. And so, even with our help, women might miscarry. And there's there's sort of a a mythology I think around the pregnancy being so delicate you know it's just so delicate for the woman and so anything we do is you know going to tip the boat in some way that could ruin everything or even if it wasn't us that we might get blamed if there is a problem um and I think I think that that idea that the pregnancy is so delicate is not accurate um I think you know, there, there, there is a tendency for women to miscarry. And I think that the mechanism of why women miscarry, especially in early miscarriages, isn't very well understood in Chinese medical circles. And we can talk about that in a minute. But if the, if things are correct or, or correct enough, a healthy pregnancy is extremely hard to mess with. You know, like if it was easy to mess with, people would take, you know, I don't know, some shui fuji yutong or something. You know, if, if it was that easy to mess with the pregnancy, then people would be using herbs to terminate pregnancies. Mm. And we don't use herbs to terminate pregnancies. It's too dangerous because the the extent that you would have to throw someone off balance in order to get them to miscarry is so huge because pregnancy is a healthy state so we'd be using herbs to make a woman so sick that a healthy process ends Mm. and and it's actually very very difficult to dislodge a healthy pregnancy the the reason why miscarriages happen it isn't us that would be causing them because it's so delicate 
it's us not knowing how to prevent those miscarriages, you know, and, and stop those threatened miscarriages. And so that's a bit of a passion of mine is, is understanding the, the mechanism, like, why is this happening so much? And what can we do to help that? So I think that's part of it is this fear around this, this delicate state um, that a lot of patients have it too. And maybe it's also because women are getting pregnant at a later age where there's more of a chance of early miscarriages. So they feel e- like it's even more precarious. I don't know where it came from because there's a long, long history of doctors treating women during pregnancy and saving lives by treating women during pregnancy. Mm, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's yeah. interesting that you that you mentioned that um, you know that Chinese medicine has a different perspective. Well, we have our own unique perspective on on life and and yin and yang and the and those cycles. And I wonder, you know, what what are some of the insights that you can give around pregnancy and how pregnancy is established and the ways in which things can go wrong that would lead to an early miscarriage. Or a miscarriage, miscarriage at any time. Yeah, I think um, you know I work with uh, classical principles, classical formulas a lot. But uh, but what that means to me is I work with these classical principles, and um, and I think that it's really important to understand the physiology of the body from this classical point of view, but also the physiology of pregnancy and what what exactly is happening when a woman does become pregnant and so something that is a very important principle is the idea of the zhui yin being an intermediary between the shaoyin kidney which includes the womb and the heart so if you think of the zhui yin as this as the liver blood and we can even think of it in terms of the five elements and the shang cycle like water generates wood and wood generates fire so for this fire and water to connect with each other the it depends on the liver blood making that connection and the neijing depending how you interpret the neijing uh, in my interpretation, the Neijing says that the Zhuiyin is this mediator between helping the Xiaoyin heart and kidney connect with each other. Fu Qingju also talks about it very clearly. Like without this blood, how can they possibly meet each other? And how can anything happen if the if this liver blood isn't isn't good? And the other thing about the the Yin, you know, if we think of the the pregnancy and the the conception sort of happening in Xiaoyin and Xiaoyin receiving the sperm and conception occurring and and Xiaoyin sort of holding that. If we think of Xiaoyin as needing to store, you know, so it doesn't fall out right? It has to store. It's being received and absorbed into Xiaoyin, and then it has to store it so it doesn't fall out. If we think of it like a wheel, like from Xiaoyin in the north to Zhuiyin in the east, going up towards the south, then part of the way that the Xiaoyin closes is when the liver blood is going upwards. You can also think of it as sort of the liver and pericardium of Yin, like that warm, juicy blood is going up to connect water to fire. So I do, is that making sense to you? Uh, okay. It is. And, um, and I'm also imagining and picturing your, your wheel and your fabulous animations that I've seen in your um, mm. in your slide presentations, and so for anyone who's listening, if you're a really visual person, I invite you to uh, to check out any of um, Sharon's many online courses to get that visual representation of of the wheel and um, and the dynamics that that you're talking you about. Know, and sometimes, you know, the Neijing says that 
Zhuiyin closes, you know, in the Kaihe Shu, like the Zhuiyin closes and yeah. Taiyang opens, you know, and Yang Ming closes and Xiaoyang and Xiaoyin are the pivots. And so, so if we have the Zhuiyin closing, like what does that mean? Because we also think of Zhuiyin as sort of the springtime and going up you know, the blood is going up and spreading throughout the body. And to me, that, that's what it means is that it has to end the, like imagine um, a furnace in the basement of your house and you want to heat the house. Well, you have to, you have to just let this much of the fire happen. Like you can't, you can't explode your whole oil tank in order to heat your house, right? And so down, right? <laughs> you would burn your house down. And so Zhuiyin has this function of, I'm just going to let this much of the warmth of the body out, and I'm going to make sure the rest is stored in Xiaoyin. You know, that's our life force, and the rest is going to be stored. But but it's important to see that the way that Zhuiyin closes is by moving up. And if Zhuiyin doesn't move up and connect with the heart, things are going to fall. Like if you imagine it like a wheel, that's how the wheel is going to stop being open at the bottom. It doesn't like go keep going down. You know, yeah. the wheel comes down and it has to turn back up. That means that downward motion is finishing, it's closing, and now it's going up. And so there's there's a lot of confusion about the use of these blood, I would call them blood harmonizing herbs, like Dangui, Chuanshong, and Chershao, those kind of, um, I would call them harmonizing because we kind of have an idea about blood moving is almost like a purgative treatment, like purging downward, like we're getting rid of blood stasis. But mm. really what a formula like Su Tong, the soup of four things, is it harmonizes the blood, meaning it nourishes the blood and it gets some warmth, this pungent warmth, along with sweet nourishment, mm. so that the blood is harmonized and the pungent warmth will move the blood up, right? Because pungent and warm moves things upward. Mm. So we have then Zhui Yin is moved up and that's how it closes does that make sense yeah. yeah so and but it also gives these sweet sort of translucent herb like dongwei is sort of translucent so it's nourishing and moistening so it helps that sort of yin yang symbol of the blood the blood is rich the blood is also moving and warm and that's what we need in order to protect most early miscarriages are from this blood that is not nourished and not moving very well. We, in the graduate mentorship program I teach, we call it crappy blood, which is kind of blood that's a little deficient and a little stagnant. And it's not blood stasis in one place. It's just in general, the blood is sort of um, crappy. It's kind of thick and, and a little dry and doesn't move very well. You know, so when it's like that, we could imagine the uterus all of the little capillaries that go to make it a rich environment for the embryo, they're a little bit dry and crusty. And when we harmonize the blood, we're just making that rich and warm and juicy. You know, so John Jong Jing says, for pregnant women, give them Donggui San. You know, it's like, basically like, give everybody Donggui San if they're pregnant. Yeah. And so, yeah. it, you know, why why give them Donggui-san? And to me, he's what he's pointing to, it doesn't mean that we should give all of our patients, all of our pregnant patients, that formula. But what he's saying is that formula represents a very important pathodynamic in pregnancy. And so it's so common and so ubiquitous in pregnant women that why not give everybody this formula. And so it includes three of the four components of Sutong, 
Mm-hmm. No, and there are a lot of people that say you can't give Donguay, you know, because it moves the blood. Like, yeah, like it's, it's such time. a delicate situation. Yeah. And if you move it, you like you just want to do everything to make it stay completely still. And so don't give anything to move it. But that's not really understanding the nature of Shui Yin. You know, that it that the it, the blood has to be rich and it has to move upward in and it's very interesting in terms of like the hormones, and I'm talking mostly about the first trimester. When the blood connects the kidneys with the heart, there's something that happens that's actually like a, it, a circle or like like a, an electrical cord getting plugged in, like it gets plugged into the heart, and it means that the hormone levels, like this life force, can now connect and come back down into the womb you know so the hormone levels in the first trimester are really high and it, it depends on this shui connection in order for like i see it sort of plugged into spirit and spirit then says good you're plugged in now i can pour all these hormones in uh, into the womb and get that baby growing and so without, like we could give herbs that boost hormone levels like Baji Tian or Yin Yang Ho if somebody, if their progesterone levels are low, but if the blood isn't good, those won't work at all, you know? And so for me, it isn't that I would treat everybody with blood harmonizing herbs in the first trimester, but when I see women who have habitual miscarriages, especially early miscarriages, almost all of the time they have crappy blood and I could see it from their signs and symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, and that could be, you know, anything from Wen Jing Tong to Dang Wei Xiaoyao San to, you know, a lot of varieties of how to work with the blood. I never just give Su Tong alone. You know, it's always sort of I'm a little more complicated than just Su Tong. But Almost always with habitual miscarriage, that's what I see. And when we improve the quality of the blood and the signs and symptoms that are that are showing with that, I I feel like so confident. Oh, it's going to be fine now. Yeah. No, yeah. it's going to be fine. And it's just the blood. And so in those kinds of women, I will often continue to support the blood during the first trimester Mm. um so you know definitely in the taichan chu it's the whole first trimester is ruled by that zhui yin and the xiaoyang the ministerial fire that's inside the blood and that whole that whole connection so it's a little it seems a little counterintuitive in a way like i'm going to close up the womb by opening up the blood flow yeah you know um does that i'm not sure if i'm it's a bit of a complex concept but it's it's really important Hmm. you know then if somebody is um very yin deficient so not only is their blood crappy but their fluids if they're very dry that's the most difficult situation for Hmm. The continuation of a pregnancy. Those are the women who is going to, are going to be most likely to miscarry, and they're also the women who are going to have the most difficult time with like hyperemesis during pregnancy. You know that that's the most difficult situation. So as much as we can remedy that situation before they get pregnant, the better off we are. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, as you were describing, you know, you were talking about Deng Gui and Tuan Shung and Chi Xiao and other blood harmonizing herbs. I like, I like that term, blood harmonizing. I've, you know, I've heard people get fearful of, you know, the terms blood invigorating or, you know, blood busting or those, those types of terms. And those herbs, I, you know, we're thinking more when people say blood busting, they're thinking more along the lines of herbs like Urdu and Sunling and other. Well, even those. But they, they even the appropriate sometimes too, right? Depending on. They what can and they, they, 
they have they're really misunderstood because I use those a lot when there's heavy bleeding, you know, because blood stasis can be a cause of a heavy bleeding. And I mostly use San Lung and Uju. I, I've never used them in pregnancy, but I mostly use them for it's called membranous dysmenorrhea, you know, where these clots come out that are are so they're like tissue. They're like meat. They're so sometimes even hard. And um, it's very painful to get them, get the endometrium off the lining. And then women often feel like they're giving birth to have a period. And a, a key is the nature of the clots, but also this feeling that I have so much pain, but as soon as I pass a clot, I feel better. Mm, yeah. and, and that, and what Urdu and Sanlong, and that can come with very heavy bleeding. Mm. And Urdu and Sanlong, what they really do, like the whole cracking, it, it sounds so violent. And um, and so everyone's afraid to use them if there's heavy bleeding. But, you know, it's a kuma, and what it really does is it's very penetrating. So it goes into the blood, and it it dissolves hardened stasis it dissolves it and it doesn't punch it and crack it like a sledgehammer you know it goes in and dissolves when the when the stasis has really hardened into something um so i often use them for membranous dysmenorrhea with i use them with sumu because that's very penetrating also and and then rogue i learned that from dr shagwe shung so i've used that combination for membranous dysmenorrhea but you know we sort of get these ideas about oh they're really violent and it's like they're not it's not exactly it you know and they're so useful and I have a wonderful case study I translated where um it's it's Dr. Shah I think Dr. Shah Guisheng um and uh he treated somebody for heavy bleeding and painful and he he used Uju and San Lung and um, the pain went down and she was doing better. But then she had to go home for spring festival. And another doctor looked at his formula and said, oh, my God, how could he have given you Uju and San Lung when you're bleeding so heavenly, heavily? And he gave her a formula to stop bleeding, like consolidate and stop bleeding yeah. And her next period was terrible again. Mm, you know? yeah. um, and I I just love that example. Um, but yeah, so there's kind of, we have kind of a, a very rudimentary understanding about the herbs, I think, when we come out of school. And then, you know, the these very experienced doctors through working with them directly or through their writings we can learn a lot, yeah. Yeah, and and this is where I'm, I'm really looking forward to some, you know, some more, um, you know, textbooks coming out and more um, education around herbs in pregnancy because, you know, I'm thinking of quite a few examples in my clinic where I've had patients that have had uterine fibroids or maybe adenomyosis, um, you know, really strong blood stasis patterns and perhaps I've used Sunling and Urdu in in their herbal formulas in the process of supporting their fertility and then once they're pregnant I think oh, okay what am I going to do now I don't know if I want to use these herbs anymore and so I might swap them onto a formula like Dungwei Shea Sun because that feels like it's still invigorating and still yeah. you know and I'm using air quotes to say safe um, right. you know, but it doesn't feel sophisticated. It doesn't feel like the best thing. It, you know, it feels like there could be a better way of doing it. But, you know, for me, I'm like, okay, this is, I'm happy to do this and it supports my patients to have great outcomes. But there's so much that we can learn from the likes of yourself and others who've got so much more experience in this, in this area. Yeah. And there's, there's so much literature that from lots of doctors that yeah. has never been translated. I'll show you. Well, the, the listeners can't see it, but um, I'll show you this book. This is, it's like famous doctors and famous formulas, the clinical experience through the dynasties. But I don't know if you can see how 
teensy tiny this writing is. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's tiny. So this would probably be 10 pages in English, one page. And this book is like 600 pages. Well over a thousand pages. Wow. And it's, it's all, it's all gynecology, but a lot of obstetrics and it's all case studies and discussions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, so there's a whole section on lumps during pregnancy and how to treat them. And yeah. uh, this would be such a great uh, project. It would be it would be volumes. But so yeah. you have to uh, do you read Chinese? No, I don't. And this is the thing, right? It's, you know, what do I spend my time and my efforts on? And and I'm sure there's practitioners that have the same the same quandary, the same dilemma. You know, do I go and learn classical Chinese so I can read for myself or do I go and do other things and there's some of us who are called to learn Chinese and others who wait for those right. who write books <laughs> right and it's not like even that any of us can keep up with reading the books that are published in English yeah but there's so much about pregnancy that I think we have a lot to do and it's actually one thing I want to have happen in the white pine circle is there's there's a bunch of sort of up and coming young translators and to have some projects, you know, that we work on as a collective and collaborate on translating some of this important stuff. Yeah. So that idea of the Zhuiyin being this connector, that's such a, it's so close to my heart in terms of something I want to pass on, you know. And I think it's a great it's a great way to describe it and it gives, you know, a different access point for, you know, for practitioners to understand the dynamics of pregnancy because not everyone is going to have the opportunity or even has the physiology to support pregnancy within their own bodies, which is where for me I got a lot of a lot of insight and understanding about pregnancy during my own pregnancies and, you know, having those experiences of, oh, wow, okay, you can actually feel the dynamics change really, really, really early in the pregnancy mm -hmm. and, you know, within a couple of days after, after ovulation, things already start to shift and we can mm -hmm. feel that in our patient's pulses and, and having, you know, having this idea of, okay, well, we've, we've got the Jui Yin coming up and we've kind of plugged in the Xiaoyin and everything's all like the dynamic changes so quickly. We want the, we want to stop things from falling out. We want to hold this baby in. Yeah. And it's a really great description. I love it. What about when, um, when we're at the other end of pregnancy? And yeah, I was just going to say, you know, a lot of people think that, you know, threatened miscarriage, the spleen controls the blood. And so we have to supplement spleen in order to help stop a miscarriage. And that becomes much more important after about the fourth month. And, and also when there starts to be something more substantial there, because during the whole first trimester, there's nothing there that really weighs anything mm. um, that takes up any space. And after the whole baby is formed, and there's a profound shift when the embryo becomes a fetus. In other words, it's dependent now on a placenta. In the first trimester, the placenta wasn't there yet. And there's this big shift that takes place. And that's when the mom's nausea starts to feel better in most cases. And so it's it, it's after that that the tie-in becomes so much more important. And as the baby starts to get big and starts to really weigh something, that's also when problems with the spleen become more important and obvious and where miscarriage would be more likely to come from a weakness of the spleen or of the kidneys consolidation. You know, so it's really different kinds of formulas you give for threatened miscarriage later on or in general. I mean, Blood is still super important all the way through the pregnancy, but definitely the spleen becomes much more important. Um, you know, and I have a, a rule for myself that I teach, which is first forget that the woman is pregnant and just diagnose her forgetting that she's pregnant. Like, how would I treat her if I didn't know she was pregnant? Mm -hmm. um, so that I can kind of clear my mind from 
how do I treat polyhydramnios, you know, or something like that? Like, ah, how do I do that? You know, okay, forget it. Like, let's just pretend she's not pregnant. What would my diagnosis and treatment be? And then bring back, okay, then how does this fit with the fact that she's pregnant? How does it change what I'm going to do in that I want to support the pregnancy? Um, So we're not kind of this is a nausea and pregnancy formula or a polyhydramnios formula or, you know, that we're actually treating the person according to the pattern that's presenting and able to kind of see that. Like, how does this pattern contribute to this problem this woman is having in pregnancy as opposed to how do I treat that problem? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then don't know how to treat back pain and insomnia and, constipation like they're all things that we can you know we treat every day in clinic yeah and I'll give you an example kind of moving towards later pregnancy from my practice a woman came and she was 10 days post date it was a Friday and they were going to give her till Monday and then they were going to induce and so you know I did my intake and and she was very healthy, you know, those patients where there's so little to go on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did have a little bit to go on, which was she was a little bit pale in her complexion, a little sallow, um, not very, but a little on the pale side. And she also had had a back spasm where her, her back had gone out had gone into spasm and that was doing better, but it wasn't completely gone. She had a a tendency to want to wear scarves around her neck. She had an aversion of to wind in her neck. And, um, and that was about it. And her pulses were floating in the sun, you know? And so kind of forgetting, and she was a little bit thirsty not much, but a little bit more thirsty. So forgetting about the fact that she was pregnant or that she wanted her labor induced, because you can go and look up and find formulas to induce labor, you know? And so forget that she's pregnant and that she's post-date. How would I treat her? And I saw that um, she, I would treat her with guajertong and I would have extra baishao to help relax the muscles. And then with the with the thirst, I also gave her Tianhofen. And Tianhofen, there's a formula called uh, Gualo Guajertong, which is Guajertong with Tianhofen. And it's for what's called soft tetany, meaning it's it's not a hard tetany in that you're, you, you know, you're completely shut down. And, but, but basically the tetany is that you're, the thirst is there. And what that means is that when you drink, it doesn't get absorbed into your tissues. So your tissues get a little stiff. Mm-hmm. And so when you give Tianhofen, it's this chalky herb that helps you absorb and cool. It helps you absorb fluids into your muscles so your muscles get softer and then Baishao nourishes the muscles and so my thought was I'm going to explain her not going into labor with the pattern rather than think how can I induce her labor so I thought tetany like your muscles can't normally contract when you have tetany you can get spasms but they don't open and close normally because they're undernourished and i remember her husband was there and he's an herbalist too and he he was like what you're giving her gualo guajertong like have you ever used that to induce labor and i said no but it's the pattern i know it i can see it and um he's like okay and so that night she went into labor and um, and very, very good birth. And what was interesting is that she also just like her back felt better. She just felt really good. And so mm-hmm. from from a, an energetic point of view, the way that I understand the confirmations, in order for Yang Ming to go down, which is giving birth is a downward motion, you know, mm-hmm. 
Taeyong has to be able to complete itself in an, and open so Yang Ming can go down. So not only were her muscles tight and not contracting properly, but it, she wasn't sort of completing the Taeyong so that Yang Ming could do its job. Um, so just as soon as she took it, uh, everything just could open up. And then later she had a lot of um, nipple pain um, while she was nursing and she had some of this formula left over in the freezer and she said, I'll just try it. And it worked for her nipple pain as well. Wow. Kind of a tetany, um, which was such an interesting thing. Um, so, so that's what I mean by forgetting that she's pregnant or even forgetting what the problem is and just, can I see the pattern itself and then go back and say, so now that I see the pattern, which is this, kind of pattern now that I have that how do can I explain why she's not going into labor no so nothing about moving the blood or getting the uterus to contract or anything like that and uh you know and that's what I love about classic formulas is that you you find this I call it the invisible realm, you know, like this mechanism and you get to be able to see it. And when you work with the mechanism, every nature works beautifully then. Mm. You know, you don't have, you're not making labor happen. Labor is normal. You're just reestablishing normal flow. And I just, I love that, that about classic formulas. I find it very beautiful and fun. Yeah. That's a great story. I love that. I, you know, who would think to use greater tongue, like a modified greater tongue for, for supporting a woman to go into labor. But yeah. It was perfect for that woman at that yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so what about postpartum? Because you've, you know, a woman's birthed the baby and then there's like this empty hollowness that's there for a little while in the, in in the space where the baby was and everything kind of feels a bit empty in there. And then you yeah. have a little person who's just 24 hours a day needs to be comforted and needs to be held and, and, you know, and needs to be fed and, you know, needs to be, I guess, given that reassurance, you know, having been a hundred percent of the time in contact with mum and now all of a sudden they're like, Oh, I'm out in the world and so you've got this you know the mother baby dyad is you know still there but it's a slightly different dynamic yeah how do you go about supporting women in that period and supporting yeah them? yeah so in terms of the confirmations you know Yin closes but Yang Ming also closes you know in the Kai He Shu you know in the Neijing Yang Ming closes Yin closes and Yang Ming is the mediator between the heart and the kidney in the West, like the downward mediator, Shui Yin is the upward mediator, you know, so you need the Yang Ming and the Shui Yin to sort of complete it. But, but it's weird. Why would Yang Ming close here? We're pooping and peeing. Like, does it, isn't it supposed to be open, but it's actually this completion of the downward movement so that now it, it can go into Shaoyin. And so we have this birthing, this purge of the baby, you know, and Yang Ming has to complete, like the baby's born and everything has to come out so that now it can close into Shaoyin again and move back up into Zhuiyin. It's very similar to having a period, you know, we have a period that has to come all the way out and then it has to close and, and build more blood again, right? Go back up. So, um, so that sort of points to things that are important postpartum. Um, I do checks with my patient and one check is how are your bowels moving? That's super important. Like, and, and that, that sort of downward motion, it's easy for that to be a problem for women. And one reason it's really important is, um, that Yang Ming is the dry metal of the West and its job is we eat food and fluids and they 
that moisture gets steamed in and nourishment gets steamed into our bodies. And so it dries things as it goes down. So if it gets too dry and stuck, you will not make enough milk. You absolutely won't make enough milk. So that being kind of cool and moist and flowing is very important. So I check, are the bowels moving okay? And another check is, did all the blood come out? You know, so I palpate. And um, usually after a woman's giving birth, even if it's the next day, the palpating the lower belly, unless it was a C-section, obviously, it should not be painful. And usually I'm not checking the next day and definitely a few days later, you know, it can be a little tender, but not painful. So you can really tell if everything came out through palpation. I wouldn't say it's hundred percent, but you can tell a lot. And I'll often give something like Sheng Hua Tong to make sure that the lochia completes itself. Mm. So many problems come from the lochia not completing itself and women don't even really know. And that can very much affect, you know, okay, so here we have again, the Zhuiyin connecting the womb kidneys with the heart. If there's blood stasis in there, when blood stasis affects the heart, that is what causes the mania of postpartum depression. You know, that's the worst kind of postpartum depression. You know, so making sure there's no blood stasis after birth is really, really important. And also making sure Zhuiyin blood is flowing again, that there's, that there's not excessive blood stasis. And then making sure she's got a good appetite which is basically another way to say she's going to be able to make good milk. Mm. Um, yeah. You know, so wanting to make all those things, things okay. But I think in terms of um, postpartum depression, I think blood stasis in my experience is a really, and it, again, it's like that crappy blood. Part of it is blood that needs to be purged out gently, but Part of it is also just this crappy blood, which can leave like microclots, which yeah. can also inhibit the Zhuiyin blood from connecting back up to the heart. So there's a feeling of connection and joy mm. um, up in the upper. So, And that can lead to issues with milk flow. It can lead to issues with insomnia. It can, yeah. Um, Body pain. Migraine. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, all kinds of sort of immune disorders, strange immune disorders. Yes. Yeah. Thyroid, um, autoimmune thyroid is a really common problem in the postpartum. Yeah. Yeah. So I think um, it's also something that I teach in my classes is how to do a postpartum exam from a Chinese medical point of view mm. um, and why we, why we look for these things, why they're so important. And actually, it's exactly what Zhang Zhongjing says to do in the Jingguo Yalue. It's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. So. It's so fascinating. I could talk about this all day. <laughs> I, I could too. You can tell. I mean, the listeners can't see um, and often I don't record with video, but um, you know, there's so much joy that's, that's in your facial expression as you're talking about all this. It's very, obvious that you have such passion for this mm. topic and uh what's a beautiful medicine isn't it yeah ah oh, we we couldn't have any other job could we no it's it's just don't you just feel so lucky yeah. like to have something that's sort of endlessly fascinating and there are opportunities all the time to get better and better at what we do and go deeper and deeper yeah yeah, yeah. such a great profession i love it yeah I love Me it. Me too. Yeah. That's all we have time for today. We've, um, we should wrap it up there. Thank you so much for coming oh, on the show. Welcome. And we'll have to have you back again. There's um, so many more topics that we could explore. Um, and so do you want to do a little bit of a spiel about your white pine circle? Sure. And also the graduate mentorship program, if that's okay. Because yeah. I have one starting in just a month. Yeah. Right. Another two-year program. So, 
Yeah. So um, I am working on uh, two big projects. I teach something called the Graduate Mentorship Program, which is a really comprehensive classical Chinese medicine herb program where you really learn in depth the kinds of physiology that I'm teaching as well as really getting clear on your diagnostics intake and diagnostic skills so you can really be confident about your prescribing. And um, I'm teaching the ninth rendition of my graduate mentorship program um, in a new one that's starting uh, March 5th. Um, so if anybody's interested in that, you can go to uh, whitepineinstitute.org and there's information about the program there. Um, and then uh, this other project that I've been working on, it's been just about a, a year um, that I've been really working on it. Um, there's a group of women called, we call ourselves the Medicine Women, and we've been meeting on retreat with this question of how can we support each other in our work? And this idea, the White Pine Circle, sort of came out of the, those meetings, and it got launched on January 1st, and it's a a membership organization where um, members get to enjoy lots of monthly resources, um, including videos and, and events. Um, like for February, I'm going to be teaching a class on chalky herbs that I briefly mentioned, and also on uh, a method for reading the lines of the Shanghan Lun. And there's two different events where two experienced practitioners are talking about their favorite formula and uh, Sabina Wilms tea time talks are available for free for members. And all of that is free when you're in the circle. And so there's a lot of community discussion forums and, and there I'm so delighted because the discussion forums are just so active and there's a lot of opportunities to get practice support from a lot of experienced practitioners. Um, and, we're even going through the Shanghan Lun and Jingguo Yaoi line by line in a discussion forum, which has really been fun. Anyway, you can do all of that in the White Pine Circle. And so if anybody's interested, that's the whitepinecircle.org. So, yeah. Yeah, two fabulous resources. Um, so to our listeners who are curious to learn more about Sharon's approach and get some more gems from Sharon. Please check out her graduate mentorship program. And um, and the White Pine Circle sounds like a fabulous, fabulous membership platform to um, to really enrich your practice and, um, and get some new insights and revive your love for our medicine. If, um, if, if anyone who's lost their mojo or who just needs more, who, who doesn't need more mojo? <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Sharon. It's been so nice.